Well, we are uh, in week six of a Warrior Songbook. We are uh, in Psalm 63 this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one uh, close to you in our seat in front of you. You can grab that. In fact, you can keep it, our gift to you. Uh, or you can look on the screen and kind of track through us as we, as we go. As you're turning there, uh, I just want to take a second. And uh, it, it amazes me as I pull on this property every Sunday morning. Um, there, there are cones that get set out with signs and banners. You walk in, and there's uh, hot coffee. The bathrooms are clean and stocked. And, like, uh, there's somebody else changing my kids' diapers right now. And, and like, they're not, they're not fairies. Like, they're actually real people. Like, that stuff doesn't just happen. Like, and uh, it, it's so amazing to come into this place and, uh, and just know, man, we got a team of guys keeping everybody safe. Or they're, you know, they're like Secret Service undercover agents all over the place. I don't even know who they are, but they're cool guys. And so, uh, you know, they, in our parking lots, we've got massive teams serving in our kids' ministry and our preschoolers. And uh, that's you. Like, you're, you're the reason that... Man, every week when people pull onto this property, they know where to go and that there's a smiling face. And it's rare. You may catch us on an off day if you're visiting, but like it's rare that you're going to walk in this place and not like three or four people shake your hand and hug your neck and ask you how you're doing and if you need anything. Like that, that, that's what it means to be the church. And, and uh, not just uh, we go to a building and we all go to the same building, but Ephesians 4 talks about we... We encourage and we equip and we serve the body of Christ. And I tell you what, there's so much joy in coming to this place on a Sunday morning, knowing, man, what the way that you guys serve and the way that you step up and the way that you love on people. Uh, I, I tell you what, like all of heaven rejoices in the fight when God's people are, act like God's people together. Um, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of that, be a part uh, of this with you guys. Uh, Psalm 63, we're working through... Uh, a warrior's songbook, this idea that much of life is, is a wrestle, it's a, it's a fight um, to get through it. And today we're kind of looking at this idea in Psalm 63 uh, that many of us, most of our days, we wrestle with, uh, you can use the word of religion, or experiencing God. Like the vast majority of us, when we, if we followers of Christ, uh, we know that we want to experience a God, but very rarely does that happen. Um, anybody ever shop at Ikea? Anybody ever been to an Ikea? All right, four of you. Um, so let me explain Ikea. All right, Ikea is a ugly blue two-story box store. Uh, they ship everything there. They say it's made of wood. When they say made of wood, they've taken sawdust, compacted it together <laughs> to make shelves. All right, so you walk in. Everything's very modern. It's, uh, it's typically cost-efficient, so, uh, but nothing is put together. Um, and so it's made in Switzerland. Most of it's made in Switzerland. They ship it all over the, the world. I think our closest is like New Orleans. I'm going to spare you the visit because you don't want anything from there. And so yeah, you go to Ikea, all right? And Ikea, because they want to get you things quickly and cost efficient, uh, first off, they skip out on the whole real wood thing, gets particle board. And then uh, when it comes to directions and instructions to put things together, uh, instead of printing one in multiple languages, they print this chubby little icon uh, with pictures of like one, two, three, four, five, but there are no words in the instructions. So they're just pictures of how you put it together. That way, a guy in Germany can, can follow directions. A guy in China can follow directions. Uh, someone in South Alabama, their own little sect, they can follow directions, right? So they do this. And when, if you've ever put Ikea furniture together, uh, you know you've never said this. 
honey, we got to get rid of all of our good furniture and go get Ikea furniture. <laughs> like, you've never said, man, I want some more hex bolts so I can screw them in with an Allen wrench. <laughs> you, you've never sat down and, and if you, you, you know, you got, you, uh, when it comes to Ikea furniture, it, I think it's a little more on the feminine side. So ladies typically get involved. If you're a man trying to put it together, uh, like you've never said, honey, you just made those directions more clear for me. Right? So like, it, it's not one of these things where you're just, man, this is wonderful. It, it's, it's cheap, efficient furniture, and it's frustrating as all get out. You know, I, I, I gave you all this definition more because if I ever ask that again, there should be fewer hands that pop up, all right? So like, we shouldn't increase in the number of people who shop at Ikea, right? But, but here's the deal about Ikea furniture. Uh, when, you, when you put that together, um, some, of, some people who buy Ikea furniture, we had one across our street uh, from our house in Orlando, like some people would just return it because it was so frustrating. Like they, they would get the pieces out of the box and they would just give up on it. They'd take it back to the store. And for some of us spiritually, when we, when we start talking about experiencing God, like what, what that even looks like, we, we look at the Bible. It's a book passed down through uh, generations and it's been translated from another language. There are no pictures in it, although we do have some, uh, we see what the final product is. Some of us get so frustrated in trying to figure that out. We just kind of, we go to church, we have a Bible, we do the dance, we do the talk. But like, we, we are done and frustrated with experiencing the presence of God because it's just, we can't figure it out. Some of you, if you're like Ikea furniture when it comes to me, I... Um, you know, successful IKEA furniture for me is like if there's only three cracks in the board. So like typically with a hex bolt, I get frustrated and bring out a drill. And if you ever do that, like you tighten it too tight. And if you ever have particle board, it just splits. So all my IKEA furniture has a split or a crack in it somewhere. <laughs> or I've left it too loose. And so you got a wobbly shelf and you're like, hey, you got to you got to wait it out the, the shelf so that it stays level. For some of you, like when you when it comes to Christianity and pursuing Jesus, Man, you, you have the right pieces, but you just can't quite figure this thing out. Like, you, you, you always have leftover screws. You never get, the, the picture never looks like the final product. And so you keep trying, and you keep trying, and you keep trying. You haven't given up, but you just can't quite get it. And there are some of you in this room, like, you're like, well, I, I don't get the struggle. Because every day you, you wake up, and there's just... It's not heavenly. It's not, not every day is just perfect. You know, you, you stand in the throne room of heaven. But you know that there are those moments where you've experienced the presence of God. And you do that routinely. In Psalm 63, David's writing about his experience. The, the discipline and the habit of experiencing the presence of God. And he's doing so. If you look at the very, uh, there's kind of a, a title, if you will, to Psalm 63. It says, a Psalm of David written in the wilderness. The reason that David's in the wilderness is his son Absalom um, has literally taken over his kingdom, like stole it from him, ran him out of the castle. He, he betrayed and had the, the army flip and become uh, in supportive of Absalom instead of David. He's stolen one of David's wives. He slept with David's daughter. He is literally in a pursuit to kill David. And so David's on the run. He's in the middle of the wilderness. Nothing's going right. He hears the name Absalom. And every time he hears it, it's like a knife in his back. And you look at Psalm 63, knowing this context, David begins to spell out 
what it's been like for him to walk, to strive, and to wrestle to experience the presence of God. It's, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and read all 11 verses together. Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches of the night. Verse 7, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. This morning, as we look at Psalm 63, there, there are two objectives. One is there is a, there is a test. You, uh, with every point, you should ask yourself a question. Am I experiencing this? Am I, is this something that's real and true about me? The second part of this is it's also a discipline. To experience the presence of God is not an equation where you punch the buttons and you output God. It is, it is a daily discipline to pursue and enjoy the presence of God. So the very first thing we see in this passage is that there's an ex the experience of spiritual hunger. The experience of spiritual hunger. The sure sign that you are a child of God is a spiritual appetite and thirst. Looking at verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The seeking and yearning after God is the result of knowing Him, not searching for Him. The result of, of knowing God, learning, excuse me, yearning and thirsting and hunger after God does not come from a, a pursuit of God, it comes from knowing Him. Do you notice how David addresses God? says, God, my, my God. He doesn't say, he, and, and David's in a, in a tough spot, tragedy, crisis, the circumstances are bad. He doesn't say, God, if you exist, he goes, God, my God. The one who has been on the throne from the day that I was born until this very moment in my life. He is saying it as a, 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 a child would talk about their parents. If I, if I were to speak about my parents in this room, I wouldn't say dad did this and mom did this. I would say my dad and my mom. I put a, a personal, intimate uh, clause onto the relationship because they are intimately mine. They're my parents. And David's making a statement here that he knows God. He is his God. We see that the Bible is very clear. That no one will seek after God or have a hunger or an appetite for God without God starting that. Romans chapter 3 says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You and I, every normal day, apart from Jesus giving us a hunger and an appetite for Him, we will not pursue after Him and we will not know Him. But out of God's great mercy, the he has given us a, a longing and a desire 
to know something that is greater than us. It is why we, we strive for better things. It's why we work for better jobs. It's why we want greater things for our family than we, than we had growing up. So as God has placed within us an appetite, that appetite was intended for him. But we see in this passage that it's not just that God placed an appetite in us so we should experience the presence of God, but that sin will pervert our appetite. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's in front of the smartest people in all of Rome. He's actually in, he's actually in Athens, and he's standing, he's standing before them, the gathering of all the intellectuals and all the philosophers. And he's gathered together, and he said, hey, look, you are a very religious people. You, you worship, you even worship, you have an idol to the unknown God. He begins to, he begins to unpack them. The reason they, have, they worship is because God had placed within them a desire to long for something greater. But sin will always pervert that longing. For them, they had placed all of their, uh, in Acts chapter 17, they had placed and allowed uh, the intellect becoming smart and getting a lot of information and being the cultural contextualist of the day. The, uh, they were sociologists of the day. That was their highest aim and it had perverted their appetite. We see that, that sin, whether it's lusting after a woman, pursuing, uh, worshiping a job, wanting something more than the Lord, will always pervert the one thing that God created us for and intended us for. And instead of Him, we will pursue after other things and to the point where we actually just don't even want God. So we see this. It's sort of, we see this when we were growing up. Uh, yesterday, I felt like I cleaned 700 butter cookies out of my kitchen. It was about 70. Um, we were getting ready for dinner time. My three-year-old wanted a snack, and, and so she runs to the pantry. We said, hey, Pauls, we'll get you something before we eat dinner. Um, instead, she goes to the top shelf and grabs the half-open cookie you know, bag um, and pulls it out. Any of you have kids, you understand this. It comes out, it hits the floor. And like the moment the bag hits the floor, like cookies just shatter all across our kitchen. But we heard growing up, hey, don't eat cookies before dinner because it'll spoil your what? It'll spoil your appetite. Anything other than the Lord will spoil and pervert our appetite for Him. And so we see this, the spiritual hunger that God has placed within us. And just and you ask yourself that question, am I, am I hungering after the Lord? And is that a daily discipline for me? And if not, there's sin is one of the primary reasons we do not experience God on a routinely, on a regular, and a daily basis. So we see this. John Piper made this statement. He said, it's not the X-rated video but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink every night that distorts our appetite and our longing for the Lord. See, sin is not just like a cup of sweet tea that just kind of wettens the appetite and feels good with a good meal. No, sin completely destroys it. I tell you, we, we want to teach our kids we don't hate people, we love other people. I encourage you, teach your kids to hate sin hate it. Sin not only destroyed all of all everything that was good and right, but sin will every day, every moment of their life that they fall into sin, it will pervert their longing and their appetite for it. We, we should hate the sin that, that destroys families, hate the sin that, that destroys communities and cities. 
because we, we know as followers of Christ what that does, that God placed in us our longing for Him, and sin always breaks that. So we see this, that sin perverts our appetite. But we also see that, that when we, we do have a hunger, uh, a spiritual hunger to experience the presence of God, that our circumstances will always drive us to worship. That our circumstances will always drive us to worship. You look, David uh, depicts the, the place that he's in. He says that my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The bareness of the land, and David is still saying, and you look at in verse 2, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. The absence of God in the moment is, and you know, God hasn't plucked him out of the wilderness and put him back in the castle. He hasn't destroyed his enemy. He hasn't done all, any of those things. And David is saying, in the middle of, of just this dry, hard place, I'm going to worship you. It was, it was both a, 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 a test for David, but it was also something that, that David had predetermined long before he had ever gotten to this situation. That from the day that David became uh, uh, anointed as king, he was a shepherd boy, that every day that we track of David's life, that he had just decided, regardless of the circumstances, I'm just going to worship. That's predetermined. You see, he, he didn't just say, man, if things are well, I feel like it. He wasn't driven by his emotion. He was driven by a decision that regardless, that God is everything, that, that literally I looked upon you with your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. Most people come to Christianity, and, and maybe you this morning, and, and we're glad you're here. They come looking for peace in the middle of a hard time, or they, they come looking for someone to rescue them out of a, a difficult situation, or they, uh, they want their family to be put back together. And so uh, most people begin to, to walk into Christianity needing something to be fixed or longing for something. But what we find that in Psalm 63, that spiritual maturity is an ever-increasing desire, not for the benefits of God, but for the presence of God. There's an ever-increasing desire that Yes, we, and we've walked through this in the Psalms. We did this last week. That God's our, our fortress. He is our strength in time of help. He is our rescuer. He's our provider. He is our, our good shepherd. I mean, we can go on and on and on declaring who God is. But in our circumstances, we often separate the benefit of God from the presence of God, and we have to understand they're inseparable. That, that God is our peace because God showed up with his presence. That God is our protection because he showed up. That God is our provider because he showed up. And as we mature as followers of Christ, and as we grow as followers of Christ, we begin to, as we just sang, say, Christ is enough. That everything I, I, I need, everything I want, can be found in Christ. It is this ever-increasing desire for the presence of God. As we walk through life, Jonathan Edwards said, the mark of authentic spiritual experience is that you become satisfied with God for who he is and not just the benefits that he gives you. To experience a spiritual hunger will always lead us to worship, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the moment. The second thing that we see in this passage is this experience of spiritual feasting. The experience of spiritual feasting, Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
As you read the Bible, and, and specifically even in the Psalms, uh, Scripture uses sensory languages to engage us, to, to teach us the reality of who Jesus is. When you look in verses 5 of Psalm chapter 63 through 8, listen to how David declares and, and describes his experience with the Lord. He says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. In looking at verse 5, that my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. You ever, you ever been to someone's house, and they've got like the freezer in their house, and then a couple freezers in the garage, and it's like packed with meat? Like, this is really because, like, somebody will have a good deer season, and you go in, and it's just, like, deer for days, right? All you vegans and vegetarians will help you after the service. But like, it's, it's deer for days. And you go over to their house, and you expect, I mean, you've been there. You've seen the freezers. It's full of meat. And you go over to their house. They have you over, and, and, and we've all been in this place. They always order takeout when you come over. Like, they order Olive Garden so it can feed everybody on one pan. Like, it's, it's microwave pasta. And, and you get this, and you're like, you've got a freezer full of meat. What? Well, thanks for, the, you know, thanks for this. But why? And they don't ever pull the meat out because it takes too much time to unthaw the meat. It's too much work to marinate the meat. It's too much hard work. There's a risk. You may burn the meat, and it's not any good. So it's just easier not to deal with it, and let's just order takeout and let somebody else cook. When it comes to spiritual feasting, several of you in this room, that's how you treat the Word of God. It's too much work. It's too much time. It takes too much energy. And so instead of us coming and feasting spiritually, and there's no way to feast in the presence of God without being in His Word. There's no, instead of feasting right here, man, we, we quickly, we'll, we'll take a, a devotion or we'll... we'll, we'll do something, we'll go to church, you know, a couple times a month, and we'll, we'll cover our bases, and then we wonder why we don't experience the presence of God, because we, we've just been frustrated. We literally have said, I, I'll take takeout instead of feasting, or, or, or this happens. Lauren and I went to a restaurant uh, a couple weeks ago, a nice restaurant, uh, and I love going to restaurants where you can see in the kitchen. Uh, one, because I think a kitchen dynamic is interesting to watch, but uh, primarily, I want to make sure that everybody has their hairnets on and that they have gloves on. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's just be real. Um, and there's always that guy in the kitchen, you're like, that beard is so big and so long. I know, like, it's just, it's just where it falls on my plate. And so, like, uh, it's steakhouse. So we're, we're enjoying it. They give us, you know, I, I'm sure they thought it was a bad seat. I thought it was a great seat. We're, we're kind of, like, off to the side, and we're facing the kitchen. So I'm just watching everything, and it's awesome. And uh, I don't know if it was the, like, the real chef or he was the backup chef or somebody didn't show up for work. But like, the guy in charge was a little stressed out. Like He's running around. He's throwing stuff everywhere. Everything's taking a little longer than it should. And uh, I had ordered a steak. And I, I eat my steak like a girl. It's medium well. Like it, uh, you know, it, It's got to be just right. And uh, it's taking a long time. And I'm like, either A, they forgot our order, or B, there's no way this steak is going to taste good. 
So it comes out, and uh, I look on the outside. It reflects, looks like a hockey puck. Um, and so I, I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. So I put it in. There was no meat. There was just char grill on the steak. And so I said, ma'am, I, I hate to do this, but this is, this is like char grilled. And she's like, oh, I thought that. Let me try it again. And so um, she goes back, and I'm watching. They're, they're trying to get orders out as fast as possible. I watch them take my steak and put it on the grill, and and it uh, comes out, and I can see it as she's walking it out. There's a pool of, uh, of red juice. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, I'm like, maybe it's the seasoning, so cut it in. And, like, it's all red. Like, great. Uh, I said, ma'am, I, I said, don't, y'all are having a busy night. Just don't, don't worry about it. You just go put it back. I know the, the kitchen's working hard. And uh, so, you know, I filled up on bread and the... Uh, the free bread they give you and you got a free appetizer out of it. So, but, but I began thinking about that. Most of us are in that bucket where we're like that chef. We're, we're so busy taking care of everything on our list that, that we don't have time to sit and to feast. And we got kids to take care of, bills to pay, an extra project at work, a house to take care of. We got other projects. Something's not right at home. And we are just running 90 to nothing. And on occasion, we, we know that we should be in the Word of God. We want to be. but we, So we'll, we'll open to, to a book of the Bible. And we'll find a verse like Psalms uh, 60, verse 3. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. All right, God, I'm not sure how that applies today, but you keep on running. It's, it's, a, drive-by, it's a drive-by meal, and you just got to get to everything else going on in the day. Instead, what the Lord has prepared for us is probably like going to Mama's kitchen. And you know that Mom has cooked it just right, the right amount of butter, the right amount of salt. She's cooked it just how you like it. The tea is perfect. Just enough ice cubes, just enough uh, sugar in the tea. Everything is right and perfect. She, she, you know, if you go home to visit, mama takes a day or two just to prepare the food for you to come. There's pies galore. Everything is just right. And every day when it comes to our spiritual walk, the Lord has prepared a meal like like Mama's meal, where everything is just right. That He has prepared your heart, He has prepared His word, is is marinated, is taking time. But we have to come and we have to sit. And we enjoy the fellowship. You know, you go home, sit at Mama's table. It's not a quick meal. It's it's you know appetizer, the main course, and dessert. And because you're at Mama's house, a second dessert. And you sit and you enjoy the fellowship and you catch up on work and you talk about life and you talk about sports. To feast at the word of God is to sit down at mama's table, to plop down and say, I'm going to sit and I'm going to feast. I'm going to enjoy the fellowship and I'm going to enjoy what I'm eating. Too many of us are in a hurry and we miss the incredible meal that God has prepared for us in feasting in his presence. And there is no way to experience the presence of God without sitting, meditating, and, and enjoying the beauty of God's word that every day out of his sovereignty has planned and prepared it just for you from all of creation until this day. And so we see that there is the experience of a spiritual hunger and, the, what we, uh, and spiritual feasting. 
And what you'll find is that one experience sitting at the table with the Lord, it transforms the way that we look at every table. It transforms the way we look at every desire and every longing. We, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were in Alaska uh, uh, on a mission trip. It's a great place to take a mission trip. And so, uh, but if you go to Alaska, we, we probably took 100 pictures in the first couple days. Um, and uh, like I, I grew up, been to North Georgia. Like those are like hills. Like I've flown through seeing Denver. Like those are hills. Like Alaska has mountains, right? And it's, it's beautiful and they're majestic. The water's on one side, peak after peak after peak after peak. We took pictures, and Lauren and I just stopped. We looked at each other, and we said, you know, we can take these pictures, we'll remember it, but there's no way that these pictures will ever do justice what we're seeing. When, when we talk about the, you know, and David talks about the, that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, like, that, that understanding of that passage completely changes when you begin to see mountains that are like 4,000 feet in elevation and 12,000 feet. You, you, you begin to change your perspective on everything. Sitting in the presence of the Lord will begin to change your perspective on everything. It will begin to say, you know what, like, hey, I'm all for going to the mountains, like in Georgia and, and North Carolina. Like that, that's good. But there's nothing better in this world than going and seeing the beautiful, majestic mountains of Alaska. There's nothing better in this world than sitting in the presence of Christ and feasting with him. And that is the invitation. That is, that is the discipline of feasting in, in the presence of God. The third thing that we see is that there's the experience of spiritual praise. It is both a question this morning and it is a discipline. Are you experiencing in every circumstance of your life worship and praise of the Lord? And is that something that you're, you're consistently practicing? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what goes on at work and how your relationship is with your spouse and your kids, regardless of that, would your circumstances bear any weight on how you worship or if you worship? When we see this passage of Scripture, you look in verses 9 uh, through 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be portions for the jackal. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars shall be stopped. David's referring to himself here. He, he's describing his situation. Obviously, he has enemies that are pursuing him. He's not in a, in a good boat. Nobody wants to jump in and say, David, I'll trade places with you. And he makes this statement to, to end the passage. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exalt. Praise is the fulfillment of joy of something we've experienced. Regardless of, of, of how good your week's been, regardless of what holds on to or what comes your way this coming week, to experience the presence of God and say, regardless of that, I'm going to worship the Lord because from the day that I first breathed air into my lungs until this day, I know who he is. And to be with him is better than, uh, for one day is better than a thousand elsewhere. There's nothing else in this life that'll satisfy the longing and the depth and the desire of my soul. And when we see this, David's making this statement that the king will rejoice. We see two aspects of praise or worship. The first one is this in verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 32 said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? The love of Jesus was not that he just came, God sent his son to die on a cross for, for our sin, so that he could redeem and restore us. He gave us himself. And it is to say that that love is better than anything else I could ever experience. I will worship you because you are better than, than all of other lives or all, all other aspects of life combined. The second one is seen in verse 4 and in verse 8. Let me actually go to verse 8. It says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. It's the verbiage that we would use at a wedding and a marriage vow where a, a bride and a groom would stand at the altar and they would commit to each other that for, for sickness or in health, that, that wherever you go, I will go. Whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we are committed and covenanted together. That praise of verse 8, that your right hand upholds me, it is the, the same relationship, the same covenant, is to say to experience the Lord, is to say regardless of what valley, regardless of what hardship, regardless of the pain, the suffering, regardless of the mountaintop, regardless of how wealthy I get, regardless of what all God gives me, I'm with you, Jesus. There's nothing, nowhere else I'd rather be than to be with you. So my question this morning is, that the declaration of your heart? Is, is there somewhere else you would rather be than in the presence of God? Is there, is there somewhere else you, you would rather or something else you would rather meet the longing and the appetite and the needs of your soul other than God? Because David is a man, he's a picture of the, the finished product. Although he still wrestles and he, he still strives, this was not every day, he just hit the button and met with Jesus. He says he's in a dry and weary land. But in the middle of all of that, what he wanted more than anything else was to be in the presence of God. And this morning, is that your greatest desire? For many of you in this room, you say, I, I, I don't, there are days, there are moments, but that's not me. You're sort of like, uh, you're sort of kind of that person that I kind of described in the beginning. You, you've been around church, you kind of know, may have a Bible, but like, you, you've given up on this thing being real. You, you may call yourself, you may be a follower of Christ, you may have made a decision a long time ago, but you've given up on this thing being real. For some of you in this room, you're like, I, man, I want this. And you know that sin has perverted your appetite for the Lord. You know that, that sin is in the camp, and you will not experience the presence of God when there is sin in the camp. And this morning, I, I plead with you. God is not... That's not holding back from us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Would he not give us all things? It's not holding back from us. But in order for us to enjoy and the beauty of the presence of God, we must surrender sin and ask the Lord to redeem and to restore the appetite that he once gave us that is only for him and intended for him. There's some of you in this room that you've experienced. You've experienced God, and it may not be daily, but it's pretty routine. In, and you're in these moments, you're walking through it, you're living it, and you're like, man, it's hard, it's beautiful, it's great. When I gather, I'm feasting in God's word. He's speaking to me. I know that he's there. 
then from Psalms chapter 63, we know that your only response is to worship. It's, only, it, it's the test. If you're, if you're hungering and feasting after the Lord, the test is worship. Is your life, regardless of the circumstances, in awe and in worship of the one who created you, the one who saved you, and the one that has called you his? Just a second, I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song together before we leave. But, but I want to challenge you. Every one of us in this room, we wrestle through life. There's no one in this room that, is, that doesn't have a struggle, that doesn't have a, a temptation, that doesn't have something that's hard right now. And in the middle of that, God has given us an invitation to come and to feast in his presence. So I encourage you, whatever it takes, hold nothing back. Whatever sin you have to surrender, whatever, whatever schedule you have to cut tomorrow and today, whatever it takes to sit and to feast in the presence of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that this was, this was the joy that was set before you, that you would come and you would give us yourself, that you would die on a cross for us, or that ultimately we could know you. Father, I pray that in these moments that we would not just be people who hear the word, we would not just be people who uh, heard a sermon and sang some songs and we go home, but Father, we would be a people changed by the word of God, that we would be a people that, that long for your presence more than anything else. May, may they, they look and know the people, that, uh, the people of God who meet on Snow Road, may they know them by the, the longing and the craving of their heart which is to be with you. Lord, I pray that, that Paul wrote Philippians 1, to, to live as Christ and to die as gain, that that would become real for us. Lord, I pray that as, as we worship, as we serve, as we work, as we play, Father, that, that we would be a people obsessed by your presence. Father, that we would would share it, that we would be changed by it, that it would motivate us. Lord, as we, we respond in these next few moments, I pray that, that you would not let us make excuses about things that we need to surrender. That you would not let us get busy and forget that you have prepared a table for us. That you have prepared the meal and it is perfect, it is right. Lord, and that you, you long to, to be in fellowship with us. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in your powerful name. Amen.